You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So we've been diving into the book of Acts, and we've made it to Acts 20. And uh, this week as we get there, uh, a story about a friend of mine named Gavin has come to mind. And Gavin was a student that was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, uh, and I first met Gavin about 3.30 one morning. Uh, we had an all-nighter where we would take about 200 teens, and we would go around and go from location to location, a bowling alley and, and a movie theater, and then we'd usually end up at a YMCA or something along those lines. And we were at the YMCA, and there were some kids swimming, there were some kids sleeping in the hallways, some kids playing games, and then in the basketball court, there were some that were playing ball. And that's where I went. Uh, I love basketball. I'm not especially good at it. Uh, I've told Sarah if I was two feet taller and had skills, I'd be an awesome basketball player. But I have neither of those. And so, but I was still there. And there was Gavin. And he was kind of playing all by himself. And so I was drawn to Gavin. And I went and said, hey, introduce myself. And, and he was a little skinny kid. He's a freshman. Um, and so I thought to myself, I could take this guy. And so I asked him to, to play a game. And and he said, uh, sure, I'd love to. And I said, are, are you any good? Do you play on a team? He said, well, I just made it on the varsity team. Uh, I'm the only freshman on the varsity team. At which point I thought, oh, that was a mistake. I, sh- I should have chosen another kid. And so, but anyways, we start playing, and he ha- gives me the ball, and, and I make a, a move, and I'm sure I dunked it, and, um, I, or at least that's what went on in my mind, but I scored the first goal, uh, first basket, and I thought, for sure, I, I got this. We proceeded to play the rest of the game, and Gavin beat me 11-1. to 1. Um, So I challenged him to another game, and Gavin beat me in that game 11-0, to 0, at which point I, I told him, hey, I got this injury that uh, flared up before we started the first game, and it's just really bad now. That's why I've been playing poorly, and, and hey, let's go sit out. And so Gavin and I just got to talk. And over the next four years, he was in our youth group, and Gavin was one of those kids, one of those people that just carries the joy of Jesus on his sleeve. You know that when you see him, they have a smile that's just exciting, that you just know they have the joy of God inside them. There's a few people like that in my life, and Gavin was one of them, that every time I I saw him, I was just drawn to him, because it was like you were drawn to just find the joy of God as you spoke with him. And he had this giant smile, a big grin. I think we even have a picture of him. And he's just always a goofy kid. So he, he graduated and went to UT, and I didn't hear from him for a couple months. And then in December, I got a, a phone call that said, hey, uh, I'd like, do you have a, still have a ticket to Passion? It's a conference in Atlanta. And even though they were supposed to have signed up a month before, I said, yeah, man, I got a ticket for you. He said, okay, I need four. I said, oh, all right. So I got four tickets, and, and I got a hotel room. And, and Gavin and three of his friends from UT met us down uh, in Atlanta. And so we had a great time with him on that trip, and, and it was neat to see God through Gavin and to see God bring these three friends that he had met at UT and bring them to Jesus. Next year, December, I get a phone call. Hey, do you got a ticket? I said, yeah, I can get you a ticket. He said, I need four of them. I said, all right. And so I got four, and I got him in a hotel room with our group, and I meet Gavin down there, looking forward to seeing the three friends I met last year. And it was three completely different people. I said, well, where, where are your friends? He's like, oh, they're over there. I told him what hotel we were staying at, but I told him this time they had to get here on their own. I'm bringing three new people to meet Jesus. And so he would do this every year, and he would have a new group of three each year. Until the last year, he just was Gavin and his whole like, little posse of friends, and, and they would come and meet Jesus. He was that contagious of a man. 
we went to Taiwan, and I didn't hear from him for a couple years. And when we came back, uh, shortly after we returned, I got a, a, a Facebook message from him that said, Hey, Matt, I've decided to become a full-time missionary with Campus Crusades. I'd love to talk with you sometime and, and see how you did your fundraising. I, I want to know, I heard about how you guys were able to raise your funds in a short time, and, and I want to learn how did you f- do fundraising. And so I typed back and said, hey, I'm excited for you. Uh, he told me about his serious girlfriend. Uh, he was getting ready to propose, and, and we communicated a little bit through the message, and, and I said, I look forward to talking to you. We're traveling for the next couple of weeks, and so when I get back, let me give you a call. And he said, that'd be great. I never did get to make that phone call to Gavin. A week later, we had arrived home, and we were pulling into the driveway, and I'll I'll never forget this moment. That night, we pulled in the driveway, and I got a phone call, and and so I I put the car in park and answered, and it was one of Gavin's friends. And they said, I have bad news. I turned to Sarah, and I said, hey, can you take the kids inside? And so Sarah and the kids got out, and I just sat there, and his friend told me, There's a freak accident, and Gavin's in the hospital, and he's brain dead. Said that they're going to, his parents are going to pull the cord tonight. I just want you to be praying for his parents and his brother and everyone. There's a whole group of people that are floored by this at the hospital. And I hung up, just began to cry. As you can see, it still hits me. Think about that moment. And I just cried. And the tears were flowing, and I cried, and I cried out of anger, and I cried out of fear, and I cried out of confusion, and I cried out to God, why, God? Why, God, would you let this happen? Why, God, would this young man who is so on fire for God find his death? Why, God, when he's ready to be a missionary for you, would he die? Why, God, would you let this happen? And about 45 minutes passed, and Sarah came out because she knew something was wrong, and And I told her, and she sat in the car, and we just cried. And we cried together, why, God? And I share this story with you, because I think this is a story that we've all had. A story some of you might be experiencing now. Why, God, was that life cut so short? Why, God, is that relationship falling apart? Why, God, am I struggling in this area of life? Why, God, are the bills not being met? Why, God, is that person out to get me? Why, God, does school not seem to be working? Why can't it click? Why, God, can't we get pregnant? Why, God, is there this diagnosis? Why? And so as we approach this passage in Acts 20, I want us to look at it through this this view of why, God. Because i got to think that this was something that Paul had to have experienced, as we all do, as he was coming through, through his work and through what the future held for him. As we've been going through this book of Acts, we have started with the disciples and the early church, and then we kind of followed Peter a little bit, and then Paul, and we've been exploring his missionary journeys. Luke has told us about these journeys and these new churches that have been budding up, and these new groups of believers and these communities of faith, and and the hardships and the good things, and we've been following this, but we'll start to see Acts is going to change here. Well, as we're on the home stretch, chapters 20 through 28, we're going to see that it changes not just from a story of these churches, but more from a story of Paul. Luke, had, I don't think, intended to write an autobiography of Paul uh, of this time of his life, but I believe this is what the Holy Spirit was leading. 
as we follow Paul along and we see the hardships that are about to come, as we see him work up the ladder of power, sharing his faith, as we see what God is doing in his life. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to them with me to Acts 20, or we'll have it up on our screen, uh, and we begin. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and encouraged them, said goodbye, and set out for Macedonia. So uh, we don't, as I said before, Acts is kind of intermingles with many of the books from the New Testament. And so we see from 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that, the, that Paul was headed there because he had been collecting contributions from these churches in Macedonia. That they'd been collecting an offering to be able to go and help support the church in Jerusalem. That church had hit on hard times, and so they were collecting this money from these churches to take it to Jerusalem. And his goal was to be to Jerusalem by Passover. And so he had been collecting this money, and he was headed to Jerusalem by Passover was his goal. It was what he intended. And continues, he traveled, verse 2, through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Arriving in Greece, he stayed in the city of Corinth. This is where he wrote the book of Romans during this time. And so he ministered to them, and he collected funds, and, and the, uh, the different churches, the funds came in, and he gathered it all together. It continues, because some Jews had plotted against him, uh, and because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So there's a plot to take Paul's life. There's a plot to, to kill him as he sails on to Jerusalem. Everyone knew this was his goal. He was collecting these funds to head to Jerusalem by Passover. And so there was a plot to kill him. The unbelievers were, were frustrated with the, this upheaval and this, this new movement that he's creating. And so they have this group, uh, these assassins that are going to go on the boat. They'll hide as pilgrims headed to, to Jerusalem as well. And somewhere along the sea, they would take Paul's life and throw him overboard. And so he has to find a new way. Everything has to change. He's just trying to do God's work. I got to think, even at that moment, there had to have been, why, God? I'm trying my best for you. Why are people out to kill me? But either way, he has to change and create a new plan. It says he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Antiticus and Trophimus from the providence of Asia. It lists this group of men, and, and these are people we haven't heard from again before, and some we won't hear from again, but the collection of these men is significant. These men all came from these churches that he's been collecting the funds. Paul wants to make sure that, that everything is on the up and up, that there's no accusation that he's been skimming off the top, and so he sends a representative from each church with the funds. But I think it was more than just accountability. I think it was symbolic. Because here you have these Gentile churches sending a Gentile representative to go care for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Paul's been talking about bringing this connection with the Jews and the Gentiles, that they're all one under Christ's name. And so here's the Gentiles, this new group of believers, coming and caring for the Jewish, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so they have this group, and they also serve as a decoy. Paul's a wise guy, and so he's got this group, and so he sends them on ahead with the offering, and they board the ship. And I'm sure the assassins probably get on board as well. And imagine their surprise when they set sail and find out Paul's nowhere to be found. 
And this is a time before cell phones and so forth, so they have no way to communicate that Paul's back in the town, and Paul's able to just walk out without worry. So these men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. I don't know if you picked up on that, but it says we. It says that we set sail and, and waited for us. Luke has now joined him. On Paul's journey, had he, because he didn't take the water out, he took it by land, he meets up with Luke, and Luke now joins him. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bed. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. So this scene, it's insignificant, though, these words. I don't know if you picked up on that. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. This is our first example of what we do as Christians, meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. Previously, the Jews had met together on the Sabbath, right? The last day of the week. But now the Christians are meeting on the first day of the week. And they're doing that to worship. They're doing that to sing. They're doing that to study his word. They're doing that to listen to what Paul has to say. They're doing that to break bread. I've been asked, why do we have communion every week? Does it lose its significance? And I think we have it every week because we see it time and again in the Bible that when they came together, they would break bread, that they met on the first day of the week to break bread and have communion. So we're going to go and step into this verse. We're going to live out verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, as we combine, can connect with our brothers and sisters in Christ from 2,000 years ago. And as we are meeting here on the first day of the week, we're going to now take a time of communion, as they did in that upper room, a crowded upper room late at night. They met to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross, to be reminded of the sacrifice and, and his love for us. And so if you will, join with me in Acts 7 as we meet and break bread. God, I pray that this communion time is a time that's uh, significant to you, a time that's significant to us as we are reminded of the greatness of who you are, that you sent your son to us. God, I pray that we are humbled by that. I pray that we come to this time in reverence and awe and in gratitude. God, we lift this up in your name. Amen. We met together on the first day of the week and broke bread, had communion, just like we partook in. And so the, for the Jewish custom, the Jewish calendar, the first day began the, the night before, from sundown to sundown. And so the first day would have been what we call Saturday night, but it, to them it's the first day of the week. And so Paul speaks, it says till midnight. It wasn't all throughout the day and into the night, but still, since sundown through to midnight, Paul's speaking. And they're meeting in this crowded upper room, a third floor, and there's candles flickering and the oxygen is probably getting thin. It's stuffy and you can imagine the scene. Everyone's stomach is full, it's late in the night, and we encounter almost a humorous story, a lesson for us not to fall asleep during church. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were, where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on 
I got to think that Luke probably added, wanted to add a few more on and on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Don't lose sight that Luke is a physician. That is his trade. He knows what a dead man looks like. He probably even went down with Paul and examined the, the young boy. He might have been one of the first ones there as a physician trying to see if he could help. And he knew that the young man was dead. But it says, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Paul healed the young man. It was a flashback to the stories of Elisha and Elisha. Uh, when they lay down on the boys and they were ba- brought back to life. And it was done in those times to show that this was a man of God. And you got to think that same message was very clear to all the people in the town. Imagine Eutychus and his story of how Jesus brought him back to life through Paul. What an amazing story. And so they go on, Luke and Paul and the crew that's together. Verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made, arrange- had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. For some reason, Paul wanted to be alone. So he sends Luke and the people ahead, and they meet up together. When he met us in Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived in Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day we arrived in Meltos. You can tell, Luke is with them now, given all the details. Everyone else has been like, we went for a ship ride, and we finally got there. Luke, the detail, the physician tells every place they went. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the providence of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. He had missed his goal of Passover. Now he was shooting for the goal of Pentecost 50 days later and 50 days after Passover. And so he knows that he can't go through Ephesus because this is where he had spent three years. Imagine the conversations. Everyone would want to see him. Everyone would want to have a dinner with him. Everyone would want to talk to him. So he decides to set sail past there. But when he gets that close, he can't help reach out to the elders, the leaders of the town. From Miltus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. The elders. This is a group of men that are leading the church in Ephesus. The group of men that Paul has, has put the church in their hands. The group of men that have been commissioned to oversee the spiritual growth, the care, love on the congregation there. Much as the elders of Discovery Church. If you're not familiar with how Discovery is set up, we have Jesus as our head, right? Every decision we have, every program, every, every moment, we hope funnels through what Jesus, what would Jesus think of this? Is this his plan? Is this what the Holy Spirit is leading us? But then after we have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, we have the elders. This group of eight men are commissioned to lead this church body to care for our spiritual well-being, to, to care for and love on us, to, to visit when we're in the hospital, to be there to cry with us when we're having a hard time, to rejoice with us when we're happy. Underneath the elders is then the staff. And so I have people that, that share, hey, I've been praying for the staff and for the, for the discovery, and I want to encourage you to, I'd love to appreciate those prayers and encourage you to continue to pray. But also, if you will, pray for the 
elders, pray for these volunteers that are commissioned to lead this church, that they too would be under spiritual battle. So pray that they would be held strong. Pray that God would guide them and their families as they continue to lead this church. And so Paul reaches out to these men that are commissioned to lead that church. And it says, from Miltus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the very first day I came into the providence of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Levi says, I was right there with you. Right? I was doing this life with you, that you know I was there, and together we were working through understanding our faith. Together we were crying, together we were laughing. I was right there with you, alongside you, not over you, but with you. It says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That he's told them to, that he's had this continual message, whether it's in big groups or one-on-one, turn to Jesus Christ. And then it gets to the part that, that makes me step back and just wonder why. It says, verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city... The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Why? How can this be? How can Paul, who's doing these mighty works for God, how can Paul, who just healed this young man that died from falling out of a third-story floor, how can Paul, who's establishing these communities of faith that are growing and reaching and spreading God's word, why would he face hardship? Why would he face imprisonment? Why would he face battles and trials? Why would he face ultimately a martyr's death? Why? Why, God, is this happening? And he says that from city to city, he's been reminded by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know exactly what that looked like. We know that at times it was from people speaking into his life. I believe that it probably was at times that he might have heard through dreams, through visions, whatever that might be. But he's got this message from the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a battle ahead. You have hardships ahead. You have prison ahead. Maybe he even knew he had death ahead. And I can't help but wonder, late at night, if he didn't cry out to God, why? Why, God, is this going to happen? Why, God, is this the struggles? If I'm giving my life to you, why, God? How can this be? Why? I think it's a question many of us ask, if we're honest, right? Have you had those moments where it's just, why, God? Why am I going through this? Why is this relationship failing? Why can't we, we get pregnant? Why is there this diagnosis? Why, God, is it such a struggle to get into school? Why are these classes not lining up? Why is this happening? And our mind quickly goes and wonders, is maybe God's punishing us somehow? Maybe this is because of our sins. But if that was the case... God would have done that to Paul long ago when he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. No, it's not because of our, it's not because of God punishing us. And maybe we start wondering, why God, don't you have the ability to do this? I've heard about these miracles. Why can't you fix this? But then you see Paul just performed this miracle. Just healed that boy. 
He knows God has power to be able to stop these hardships. So it's not that God doesn't have the ability. The truth is, we live in a hurting, broken world, full of sin and full of pain. That when that crept in long ago in the Garden of Eden, it paved a way for all of us to struggle, all of us to have pain, all of us to have these hardships, all of us to have what Paul is facing, all of us to be at night, cry out, why God? But we see, as we continue on, we see Paul's response. He says, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That in the midst of these hardships that he knows are coming, the one thing that he can find encouragement is there is a purpose. There is a purpose in my life. There's a purpose in, in your life. There's a purpose in Gavin's life. There's a purpose. And in every day until it ends, we need to live out that purpose. And that purpose is to bring God glory and bring people to Jesus Christ. For Gavin, like I said, he's got this whole group that he would bring to passion every year. For Gavin, there was always a new friend that he brought to youth group. There's always a smile that he had. He just exuded God's presence. And I never got that phone call from him. Because a week before, he had gone hiking with some friends. At a local water spot here near in East Tennessee. And there's a rope swing that you can swing over and drop into the waterfall below. And it's a deep pool, so it's completely safe. There's not any rocks that you have to worry about. And he's having a good time. And it was Gavin's turn to go on the rope swing. And he goes off, and he's high above the waterfall. And at that moment, Gavin experienced his very first seizure. He didn't have epilepsy any time before. He'd never had a seizure before. But at that moment when he's holding onto the rope, his body begins to have a seizure and he falls to the water below. His friends, Gavin was always joking around and his friends see him down there shaking and convulsing and going under the water and they thought he was just joking. Oh, it's Gavin being Gavin. Look at him and they're laughing and they're being like, Gavin, come on up. And Gavin, before one of them realizes he's not coming up, there's something wrong. It was too late. A friend dives into the water and the others come down the rocky cliff and they pull Gavin's body out, but it was too late. They call 911 and get him to the hospital and they keep him alive just long enough to be able to donate his organs. Why? That seizure 30 seconds earlier up on the cliff, he would have been all right. A minute later, he would have been out of the water. He would have been all right. Why? At that moment. And it's a question that I sat there in the car and I just cried and I cried out to God. And I know his family did and his brother did and many friends. Why, God? Same question that you have wondered in your life. Maybe are wondering today. Why, God? And I don't have a, a great answer. This is a hard message to preach because there's not a little bow with a parable and everything ends happy. But there is a verse that I want to share. Because as we come to this why, I know Gavin lived every day for the Lord. I know Gavin could say he finished the race. And I know Gavin is waiting in heaven. And one day I'll be with Gavin again. And we'll play basketball. And I'll be taller. And it's going to be great. 
And I know that Gavin's in the presence of Jesus right now. There's a verse in the book of Psalms, Psalms 50. God is talking to the people of Israel and he's saying, I don't need your sacrifices and your actions. I just want a relationship with you. And he tells them, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. There's times where you're crying out, why God? When I sit in that car, why God? There are times that I also need to cling to him, to come running to him, that I'm in the midst of this trouble and to come to him and he will rescue me. And that rescue doesn't always look like what we want. That rescue might not be our plan and, and quite frankly, that rescue might be heaven. For Gavin, that's where he's at. But that rescue, God will take care of us. He will rescue us in the midst of our why God. For Luke, like I shared, as he's going, he just wants to get this offering to the church in Jerusalem. He just wants to get there by Passover, and there's a plot to kill him. He can't just get on a boat like everybody else. And I got to think, he's sitting there saying, why God? I'm just trying to do your work. I'm trying to take this offering to you. But because of that, he takes the road instead of the sea, and he meets up with Luke. He had been with Luke before, but they didn't know that they would rendezvous at this point. And he meets up with Luke, and Luke continues on with him to Jerusalem. Luke gets a chance to probably interview Peter and James, to talk to, talk to Mary and John Mark, to talk to the eyewitnesses that were there in Jesus' life and there at the crucifixion, the people that had seen the empty tomb. And because of this journey, Luke was able to make these interviews, and, and perhaps it was because of the change in plans that we have the gospel, the book of Luke. It's perhaps because of this that we even have the book of Acts that we're studying today. That Paul would have been crying out, why God? And God would know, so it could complete the word of the Lord. I needed this story told, and Luke is the one to tell it. Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. So we come to this time, we come to this reality that we all struggle with this why God. And I, like I said, it's not a one that we have a great bow at the end of this message, but a reminder that there is a Lord that is greater than the hardships of this world. There's a Lord that is greater than the pain, greater than the struggle, greater than those broken relationships, greater than that diagnosis. There's a God that is greater than our troubles, that we can come to him with our troubles and there's a God that will rescue us and, bring us and that we will bring him glory. That rescue comes in a lot of different ways. But the point is, as we close this passage in Acts, as Paul says, he lived his life finishing the race. I believe Paul does that. I believe Gavin did that. I hope you and I We'll do that. That every day we'll be able to live for this purpose, to bring God glory. And then in the, I hope and pray that in the midst of our why God moment, that we can also say, that's why God, we're coming to you. It's why God, we pray to you. That's why God, we cry out to you. It's why God, we need your comfort. We need your rescue. This is why God. If you'll pray with me. 
Lord, we come to you right now and we just cry out. Some people are dealing with a why God right now in their life. That doesn't make sense and nothing, nothing seems to be working out. And just why God is this happening to me? And God, I pray for, the, for those of us that are experiencing that, whether that's now or into the future. God, that we will remember to come clinging to you. That's why, God, we run to you. We turn to you in those moments that we come to you in our trouble and we look to you for rescue. We lift this up in your name.